Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. We're speaking, we're speaking about how to create sacred space. It's interesting, one of the great ironies of life is the fact that we don't usually appreciate the blessings and the gift of, of life itself. When was the last time you thought about the fact that every breath you take, every move you make, is a gift? We breathe, on average, a healthy person 18 times every minute. Who is aware of that? When we go to a hospital, God forbid, and we see someone struggling to breathe, we suddenly realize, wow, it's a pretty big thing that you're able to just breathe and all the mechanisms necessary. But then we forget and we go back to our, again, so-called taking for granted these blessings. And the truth is, about everything in life, we recognize, do we recognize that every moment and every space that we traverse is a uh, unique, is something special? You can essentially say this is the difference between conscious living and so-called unconscious living. The word unconscious is the right word, but awareness and less awareness. People who are highly aware appreciate and value and cherish every fiber, every moment, every second in time, and every fiber of space. And when you do that, you actually live life to the fullest. Because to truly appreciate life and live to the fullest and actualize its potential is recognizing how every detail is filled with so much energy and power and not just let it pass. For many of us, when we look at time and space, we often see it as almost like an enemy, say an enemy, but it's something we cannot control. It controls us. We need to beat the clock, meet a deadline. We need to conquer space because space, the space we're in, we need to some way contend with the challenges of the elements of space and so on. In truth, as we shall discuss, we actually have the power to turn things around where time and space become harnessed by us. Instead of it mastering us, we can master it. And that's the theme of our discussion here. So we say how to create sacred space, we're talking about how to appreciate space and how to appreciate time for that matter, and turn it to something that's far more than just the time and space which we occupy in our lifetimes. And it can transform and enhance your entire life when you know how to look at it in that fashion. I always write up the description of the class as we send it out, usually on the day of the class. And I just wanted to read to you the way I worded it, because I thought it was a way, really good way to capture the challenge. The question is, how do we manifest and express that value of every moment and every inch of space 
in ways that enhance our lives. So to really do this effectively, we have to dissect and go a bit deeper into what is time and space. So much has spoken about it in science, especially in the last century or century, century and a half. Time, space, and man become a central theme. This triad, this triangle of we we all occupy space right now. We live in a certain moment in time. And then there's the we, the person. Interestingly, that expression goes back thousands of years to the earliest work of Jewish mysticism called Sefer Yitzhira, the Book of Formation. And it's all based on an acronym, which is in the Bible, the word Oshan, which means smoke or fog. For Har Sinai, the Mount Sinai was completely covered in a cloud, in a fog, smoke. Oshan. Oshan is an acronym of three words, Oilam, Shana, Nefesh. Oilam is space, Shana is time, Nefesh is spirit. So there you have, because all of existence is the confluence, the convergence of these three forces. So what exactly, so science, as I said, has much to say on the topic, but so does mysticism, and in many ways goes even deeper into it, and basically it all comes down to energy. Everything we know today is, consists of energy. All matter is really energy. It takes the shape of matter. The same thing with time and space. Time, actually, is one of Einstein's discoveries and innovations was that time is energy. And time is not just an a, a super, a artificial, man-made way of measuring, but there is actually time actually is a form of energy. Space is easier to understand that because space occupies a certain particular space. That's like a matter. So it has every space has its particular energy, but so is it the same as with time. So when we really think of it, think of it as two forms of energy. One defined by spatial parameters. That's the level each space occupies. That's an energy. So when you say an individual, two people, let's say, meet in a certain particular space. So it's two forces, two human beings, two nefesh, two spirits meeting in this particular energy called the space. And then there's the time which is another form of energy that's more of hierarchy. When we say past, present, and future, which defines the structure of time, on a conceptual level, it's essentially a hierarchy, a, a, like a form of precedence. What precedes what? So in physical time, things proceed, for example, a father precedes a child, a parent precedes a child. But when you think of parent and child, let's say in a conceptual uh, outline structure, you say parent categories and subcategories, they both can come together at the same time, but still one precedes the other because one is the cause of the other. So there's a hierarchy. But that's not really the topic we want to address. The point is that it's all about energy. So when you look in the Zohar, the classic work of Jewish mysticism, authored by Rab Shimon Bar Yechai, so it's an interesting question it asks. In the Bible, in the Torah, it says, Six days God created heaven and earth. The question is, it's missing a word. It should say during six days, in six days, in a period of six days. In Hebrew, Why does it say six days God created heaven and earth? 
The answer is because the days themselves were created. Kol yema, v'yema, Every day has its function, has its energy. So time is more than just a day on a calendar, or a hour on a calendar, or a minute, or a second, or a month, or a year, or a decade, etc. It actually is a form of energy. Sunday has its unique energy, Monday has its unique energy, Tuesday its, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Shabbos, Saturday. They correspond in the Kabbalistic structure, spheratic structure, the six, seven, six, seven emotions. Chesed, kindness, love is Sunday. Light. Monday is separation, diversity. The energy of diversity. Tuesday is the energy of compassion and harmony. Wednesday is the energy of determination, netzach, of ambition. Thursday is the energy of humility and yielding. Friday is the energy of bonding. And seventh day, Saturday, Shabbos, is the energy of dignity, of malchus. If you want more about these seven, check out my book on the counting, the spiritual guide to counting the Omer, and I define it more in detail. The point I want to make is that each moment is energy. And of course, the same thing with space. Different spaces have different energies. That's why you sometimes go to a certain place and you feel there's a certain, like, vortex. You go to certain holy cities, you sense a certain sanctity, a certain sublime nature. Those that are more sensitive can actually feel different spaces, have different forms of energy. So if you really want to understand space and time and not just ignore it or take it for granted, as I mentioned, you have to understand it as energy. So every moment you're given in your lifetime is a gift of energy given to you, and how are you going to use that moment? The same thing with every space that we travel through or that we occupy. It's not just a, uh, incidental. It's given to you as an opportunity, as I've discussed many times, that God leads the footsteps of man, that the concept of divine providence, that every step we take is preordained. And what will you do when you take that step, when you come to a certain location, a certain place, whether it's on vacation or on business or just you may think for some other reason, how are you going to use that opportunity of that time and space? That's the question. And that, my friends, is the way we sanctify time and space. That's called sanctifying it. What does sanctifying mean? It's not just passing through, passing by. You actually focus and say, why am I here? So the ostensible reason you're here, maybe you had a business appointment, as I said, vacation, maybe some other thing led you there. But there's always a deeper choreography, a deeper reason. What energy is there waiting to be released by your effort? Always love that story. With Rabbi Chaim Rappaport, where the Barshamtav sent him on a mission. And after he fulfilled it, the Barshamtav insisted that was the great master, Hasidic master, the founder of the Hasidic movement. He asked him, how did you travel? And he shared with him. He said, well, he came. It's a night he slept in an inn. Then another place at the edge of a... He had to camp out. In the morning, he woke up, washed his hands, said his prayers, and then afterwards sat down to eat something. A brook of water was there. They took a cup of water and made a blessing on it. And the Baal Shem jumped up with ex- excited. 
that that water, that brook of water was waiting for you to come from the beginning of time to make a blessing. And you can say the same thing with the space. That space was waiting for you to come to walk there and do something productive and constructive and elevate and sanctify that space. It's a tremendous way of looking at life because we are always traveling through time and space. But how much of it do we really even stop to think about? As I said, we either see it as a nuisance or we don't think about it altogether. But every moment and every inch, every location, every spot is filled with energy waiting for you and you alone to come and do something there. So when you come to a space and you do something, you make a blessing, or you say a kind word, or you do another good deed, or you learn something from that location, you see a beautiful tree, You don't just say it's a beautiful tree. You learn to grow from it. You learn to protect the environment. You learn to sanctify the space that you're in by appreciating it, not by wasting it, not by disturbing it, but actually by elevating it. You take an apple off a tree, you make a blessing, and you eat the apple. And the apple then becomes part of your blood, part of your life, part of your flesh and blood and you do a good deed, then the apple is elevated. You've sanctified that apple, you've sanctified the tree, you've sanctified the space, you've sanctified the time when you were there. And that becomes forever. This way, you're just in passing. You pass by, you don't do anything, it moves on. But when you tap into the energy, you actually actualize the energy, and then the energy is a forever energy, even though it happened that moment. That's what's called a magical moment, an eternal moment. Every special event in life takes, is, happens in a moment or in a few moments. But the question is whether the moment will pass or by doing something, you've turned the moment in an eternal moment and you could remember forever, the rest of your life, that moment something special happened. What does that mean in, in simple English? That you've tapped into the energy of the moment and thus eternalized it. Another way of saying sanctified it. And the same thing with space. Space is a limited space. You've been to a certain place And you could easily leave and forget that you were ever there. Or you can do something and forever change history and change that location. And though not everyone will know it, but those that are sensitive will come travel there one day and say, here's something great was done. You know, we all are taken in a way by the, almost the, the the word I want to use is the... um, The apathy, if you wish, it's not the right word. The indifference of nature. I remember reading a very brutal article by uh, Abe Rosenthal, who was a young journalist right after World War II ended, and he went to see the camps. And he talks about walking on ground, sacred ground, where you could still see and smell the lives that were taken. And yet the grass was growing. And he says the grass, nature has its own passive way, as I said, indifference to human suffering and to human joy for that matter. And the grass is growing, covering up the blood, the nails, the remains, the ashes. So nature has a way of concealing things and make it seem like everything is, nothing really happened. When in truth, much has happened. The word for nature in Hebrew is called teva. 
So in Hasidic texts, it explains Teva comes from the word Tavu B'yamsuf. comes from the word submerged. Submerged in water. When you throw an object into water, what happens? The object disappears as if it never existed. The water conceals it. So they explain, the masters, the Hasidic masters, that that's what nature does. Nature, in its relentless consistency, seems indifferent to all the pains and joys of this world. So when you look at the sun rising in the morning, the sun can be rising, and for some people they're living in terrible misery while the sun is rising, and other people are celebrating. You look at the sun, you wouldn't know. You look at nature, it has its own way of covering up, submerging. That doesn't mean there's no energies brewing below. Just like it doesn't mean the objects are not there in the sea, except you can't see them. So when you look at the surface level, there's a certain cover. You know, think of people who may be smiling or, and while they're suffering deeply inside. They may be crying inside, but you look at their face, everything seems fine because there's a certain duplicity even, you can say. We can conceal our feelings. We can conceal our emotions. So the surface in this world is able to distort and even completely mislead us into thinking that what you see is what it is, but it's not at all the case. That's nature. That's the moments we walk, the breaths we take, when we don't think about the energy within, is that cover, surface level, that just covers everything and makes everything is fine, everything is okay. When we dig deeper and we go beneath the surface, and we recognize there's much more going on, you realize, no, that's just a cover, a cover-up, the face, the surface of things. And beneath the surface, beneath the dashboards, it's filled with energy, all kinds of opportunities. But that's the struggle, that's the battle that we have. It's easy to just take life for granted and just make believe, you know, everything is fine, surface level. We're taught, no, time and space are gifts. Gifts of energy, gifts of opportunities that were given to us. And we have the opportunity at every given moment and in every space that we occupy to either just ignore or use it in a destructive way, God forbid, or transform it and elevate it and harness that energy into something productive, constructive that helps the world, helps others, helps an individual. And then you sanctify, you eternalize that moment and that space. This is another completely different way of looking at life. So life is not just yours for the taking. You have a responsibility. You have a gift as well, an opportunity to use the time and space you are blessed with to transform your existence, to transform your life. So that way, every, more, every, every day is a different day. Every place you go to is different because it's all filled with these opportunities. Are we taking advantage of them? Are we harnessing them? Are we directing them in the proper way? That's our challenge. And when you do so, everything changes. To, use, to explain it from a Kabbalistic point of view somewhat, this energy that I'm describing is like sparks of energy. It's called the Sutzik Dusha, the holy sparks, that were spread out. Think of a book, a powerful story, a narrative that was torn into pieces. 
and the letters and the pages were all torn apart and scattered all over the world. Our job and our mission is to go and find these pieces, reconnect, recollect them, collect them, and reconstruct them, and see the inner narrative and the deeper choreography of our lives. So when we do that, when we access those energies within time and space, and then we start connecting the dots, what's hap- what happens? Besides for the fact that you've sanctified the time and space, besides for the fact that you've helped, you've eternalized it, and another thing happens. You move from fragmented human being into a purposeful one. Because this is the story of your life. These aren't a bunch of random little things all over time and space of your life. They're all connected. There's a larger story. And what happens when you start recognizing that narrative, your whole life changes. Your life is no longer just a bunch of disjointed pieces. It's a narrative. It's a narrative of your soul's journey that began a long time ago. Travel to this world, through this world, but it's traveling in a way that seems all disconnected, fragmented, disjointed. When you discover these sparks and you actualize them and you tap into them and you use them for what they need to be done, for what they need to be used, you're, re- you're reconnecting the story, you're telling, you're rebuild, you're reconstructing and rebuilding the narrative. And now it's even greater because it's being rebuilt. And you're part of the unfolding drama of your own life. Imagine the empowerment that that creates. That means whatever happens in your life, whether it's a positive event or a non-positive one, is all part of opportunities of energy for you, waiting for you to release their power. So even if you're in a moment where it's a difficult time, we're now in the nine days, the saddest time of the Jewish calendar, because of the destruction of the temples and other bad events that happened in history during this period. So you can just look at it, okay, you know, sad. No, we don't look at it that way. It's also energy. It's negative energy. But when you tap into it and you use it as a catalyst for growth, as a motivator, as a springboard, for being even more connected with others, because part of the destruction was a result of divisiveness, was a result of fragmentation, exactly. And when you connect them, you reunite with others. In this period of time, you've taken the energy, this negative energy, and turned it into a positive energy. And the same thing with space. So wherever we go, we're always surrounded by time and space. Even more than surrounded. We're actually occupying it. It defines who we are. Every moment has its moment. And we're never free of time and space. So as I said earlier, some people see themselves as victims of time and space. You know, time and space are the confines, the parameters that don't allow us to really create, to experience transcendence. How could you transcend when you're bound by time and space? We're taught the opposite. So we're taught that's not the case. The case is time and space are energy. And though, yes, if you leave it on their own record, they'll be confining forces and limiting forces. But if you tap into it and you use the time and space as a as a, um, as a uh, what's the word I want to use, as a platform, as a platform for good deeds, as a platform for love, as a platform for growth, for virtue, then time and space, you free it, you can actually use it to become eternal, eternal moments. You're transcend, taking time and space and turning it into a transcendent entity. So is it time and space or is it not? Going back to the question, a magical moment, something happened, a certain moment in your life. Is it a moment or is it forever? The answer is the moment has now been frozen forever in a positive way. 
because you've done something in that moment that will never be forgotten. Everything great in history happened at a moment. It took a, a certain moment, a certain day, a certain time, and a certain location. And those great events define that time and space. Whereas if you don't turn it into a great event, then the day passes, the space moves on, and now you're in a different part of life, and that day and, day and space may be forgotten forever. So we can take the confines, the parameters, the definitions of time and space and turn them into something beyond time and space. But the condition is that you have to sanctify it. You have to use it for, which, for the purpose it was given to you. It's a very eloquent topic because it also gives us another type of hope, I would say. Very often we say, oh, you know, we reminisce about the good old days. Like they say, nostalgia is not like what it used to be. Good old days. Back then I was younger, more energetic, more idealistic. Did not yet experience pains and disappointments. And we have a certain type of yearning for the day for our youth, for our uh, days before we lost our innocence. So we're told, no, that's not the case. You can take your time and you can do something with it that lives on forever. So it's not about living in the past and remembering good old times. You can take this moment right now and this space that you're in right now and turn it into a forever moment and a forever space. I think forever is for time, for an eternal space, an endless space. That this space, even though it's a limited space, it becomes a springboard. And as, as I said, a platform for eternal experiences. That whenever you come back in the space, like you find people who've loved each other, who love each other. So when they first experienced that love, the space, the time when it happened, that is forever etched, both in their memories and their experiences, but also in the annals of the cosmos themselves, of history itself. So when we talk about events that happened back thousands of years ago, the story of Abraham, the story of Sarah, other events that we read about, it's fascinating. It's not just a history book. It's not just remembering things that happened. You actually are experiencing eternity because we are the children and the descendants of these great men and women. And we live up to their, and we try to follow and live up to their legacies. And when we do so, their moments and, and spaces where they lived, where they lived and when they lived, become eternalized in us, even though it's thousands of years later. The same is true when we experience and continue the legacy of a parent that has passed on. There's something unbelievably powerful. Of course we miss those that we love. But there's something incredibly powerful. When we continue the path and we perpetuate the legacy, perpetuate the values of someone that lived before us. Because what's happening is not just that we continue and are inspired by them, but we take their lives and we turn their lives into a forever life, an endless experience. So there are different ways that people seek out transcendence. Some people try to escape time and space through different methods and means. Some see this physical world and this physical life as a, only a stepping stone to a more spiritual place where time and space does not limit us. What Judaism teaches us, that time and space, even in this physical world, 
is filled with energy, but it's concealed, it's submerged. And when we go ahead and tap into it, by using it for something eternal, for something value, a value that affects people, not just now, but forever, that never dies, that lives on. So you can actually take the physical universe and every fiber of it, every detail, space, time, and through using your spirit, the third of the triangle, use it for something positive, and all of it comes together to become a structure that helps us transcend structure. Think of music, musical notes, very structured. And yet when you play it properly, what does it create? It creates magic, transports us to another time and place. It transcends the structure. But it's starting with structure. It's based on a structure. Musical notes have a music, certain sounds, certain tempo. There's certain parameters. And yet those structures become springboards for something beyond structure. That's when you really are experiencing, when you're really living life to its fullest. And we have this opportunity every given moment. So you'll say, one second, I'm stuck. Where are you stuck? I'm stuck in my mind. I'm depressed. I don't think my life is working out. So what are you eloqu- waxing eloquent about all this time and space stuff? <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel for you if you feel that way. But you know what? It's in your hands. When you make that statement, you're essentially writing your own script. You're writing your own doomed script. That I am subject to my misery. I am subject to the limitations of my experiences. Whereas if you pick yourself up right now and go out, find somebody that can use a kind word, go be, do something volunteer, visit a hospital, visit some children that need support, any other way, find a way, and do it even if you're not in the mood, and you'll free yourself from your own trappings. That's the key. You say, well, I'm not in the mood. You'll do it. It'll co-create the mood. Do not wait for the mood, because then again, you're a victim. You're waiting for something to happen. No, make it happen. Be, preempt- be pro- proactive. Make things happen. We have that power. And if you don't feel, feel for it, do it anyway. Do it behaviorally. Force yourself. It's a good deed. What's the worst thing that will happen? Something good will come out of it. That is the way we deal with the, with the limitations and sometimes even the negative forces in our lives. We don't allow them to define us. We define them. And if it's a setback or it's something that is not positive, we turn that into a positive. We turn liabilities into assets. That is the key. And we always need each other for this because sometimes ourselves, it's hard to pick yourself up when you're you're feeling down. So we need each other to lean on, support, encouragement, inspiration, and just to share osmosis of kindred spirits working toward a higher end, toward a higher goal. So how to create sacred space is exactly that. How to create sacred space is taking the space you have right now, whatever it is, it's your home, your work, your third space, your social space, the spaces we occupy online, and do something that sanctifies it. Don't just entertain yourself. Don't just follow the nonsense. Initiate. Use that space and that time to say something good. 
That's as simple as that. Many of us will say, one second, it sounds so simple. Try it. It's not that simple because we have, we're caught up in the power of inertia. Our status quo, we're not used to this. But when you begin doing it, you know what happens? Besides releasing all that energy, you release your own energy. And you see, I'm capable of doing something. I'm capable of using my space and my time, the things that I was blessed with, for something greater. The satisfaction that brings is unbelievable. So you want to find happiness? No, don't search for happiness. Do something meaningful. Sanctify space, sanctify time. And that will bring happiness. Happiness is an outgrowth, a product. Not, and not something you can just look for happiness as an end in itself. It's an outgrowth, a result of doing right things. And then there's a certain harmony, a certain sense of peace, a belonging, a resonance that lifts us up. I mentioned before we're now in a period which is considered the saddest period in the Jewish calendar. But it's not just for Jews. The destruction of the temple was where God met, heaven met earth. That's why it says in the Medrash that the non-Jewish, non-Jews had known how much the temple protects them and blesses them, they would have surrounded it with legions and not allow anyone to touch it. But they didn't know. And the Jews also messed up through their divisiveness. So how do we see this period in time? We have to transform it. We look at it as an opportunity to now increase and correct the, rectify and correct the schisms and the breaches created so many thousands of years ago. That's why it says in the Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, a generation that does, not, that does not rebuild the temple is as if they destroyed it. How could you blame us for the destruction of the temple that happened almost 2,000 years ago and more? The first temple and the second temple? Because the temple is where heaven meets earth. And once that's split because people were divisive, that perpetuates until we do something. So if we actually connect with each other and we sanctify our space and we make a build to create a mini temple in our own homes, in our own hearts and souls, in our own environments. And the same with space, time. We sanctify time. Then we, are, we actually rebuild the temple because the temple is not just a building, it's a convergence. It's a fusion of interface between heaven and earth. So every generation does not bring heaven and earth together. It's as if they participate in its separation and its destruction. So we have great responsibility, great gift, great opportunity, especially in this period of time. This Shabbat, this coming Saturday, will be the ninth of Av, Saturday day of the Jewish calendar. But this year it's on a Shabbat. And as such, there's no fasting. We actually celebrate. We eat festive meal, and then Saturday night, Mashiach doesn't come, the fast begins, a day of mourning. There you have it. How is that possible? Because this year the Shabbat reveals the inner joy of transforming the darkness, the void, into something positive. If we do it effectively, we can eliminate it altogether. But if not, at least we have a taste of it. So there you have a living example of this concept, the transformation of a moment and space that were not positive into something tremendously positive. And this is in our choice. This is in our hands any given moment. Don't ever, ever think you're a victim. 
It's in our hands to take space and time and to do with it magic, to do with it wonders, things that it itself could never have imagined, time and space itself. Because time and space are just there. They don't have free will, but we do. And you can make a time, you can make a moment eternal. Think of moments in your own life. Something special happened. You could have been a child and you'll never forget when your grandfather or grandmother or parent or someone else did something for you and remains etched. There you have a moment has become sanctified and eternalized. And same thing with space. You know, sometimes we go to places we don't even necessarily remember, but then you see it and you say, hey, something happened here. Something special happened. And that too becomes a sanctification and an eternalization or eternalizing of that space. And this is throughout our lives, wherever our, the trajectory of our journey will lead us. Today, tomorrow, the next day, even now as, as we travel in the summer months. All of it are allocated disjointed sparks that were separated in order for us to reconnect them and to elevate them. Just a beautiful poetic way of looking at life. It's actually poetry. You're writing the poetry. You're reconstructing the poetry. And you're doing it with your initiative, at your initiative, with your effort. It's beautiful to be able to do that. God should still bless us that we should have the least amount of pain, least amount of setbacks. But should something happen, no, it's all part of your journey. And you could turn it into a narrative which has a happy ending. And then that piece, even that setback, becomes part of that happy ending because it's all leading to that. And you look back in life and you say, hey, those events at the moment were uncomfortable, but they taught me something. I became stronger, more clear. It added to my narrative, to the rich narrative of our lives, which is filled with diverse twists and turns, which we don't always understand why they're happening, but in retrospect, hopefully we can. And in our case, we're looking even to anticipate that those twists and turns that will come today and tomorrow, in the spaces of our lives, in the times of our lives, we will not just bypass them. We will navigate and swim through them. We'll use them either as forward thrusts or as a time to reflect and be introspective. And all of it leads together to a grand, beautiful journey a journey that's made up of bunny details, but the details all come together in one harmonious flow, in one synchronicity, where, yes, every moment and every breath and every detail and every move is all accounted for and tapped into and transformed into tremendous powers of energy. Everyone should be blessed to be able to be able to see their lives in that way and begin step by step. You don't have to think, think of this as a 24-7 project, which is usually not going to work. Step by step, begin slowly, begin tomorrow morning or tonight, wake up in the morning, acknowledge my soul was returned to me. Remember, your soul is your hub and all the details of your lives are just your soul looking for expression. And then as you see these details accumulate in the day, Whatever they may be, commuting, tying a shoelace, meeting somebody, even things that seem trivial. No, tap into it. It's a moment. It's a space waiting for you from the beginning of time to elevate.
to transform your life and the life of others. This is the ethos of the Meaningful Life Center. This is what we do. We teach these ideas. We try to live by them. And most importantly, we try to bring everybody together as a community. And we look at the world as 7.5 billion or 8 billion by now. Fragments. But all pieces of a larger symphony. All of one larger narrative. And each of us doing our part and then connecting to others creates a ripple effect. Because the more the connections happen, it's like when you build, build a jigsaw puzzle. The more the pieces come together, the easier the other pieces to join. So please join us. Please share. Please like. Please support our activities. And in every possible way, let's help, let's disseminate these ideas. Let's share them. Let's perpetuate them. Because each of us is needed and each of us needs each other. We're here every Wednesday, 8.30 is live, but it's all archived, accessible at MeaningfulLife.com, plus many, many other resources that you can find there. And can be downloaded, podcast, iTunes, all the different platforms. Everyone be blessed. May these days be transformed to holidays and to days of celebration, that the black hole, the dark energy, which is so intense that we sometimes can't even escape, should be released into this eruption of goodness and kindness and light that will submerge the entire world in a world that's filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. Thank you very much.